Hi, Small Subjects listeners. We want to hear from you. Click on the link on the blog where we post photos from each episode, www.boxdioramas.com slash smallsubjects, or on our social media posts, and comment on anything we've said in this or any episode, or pose a question you'd like to hear us answer. You do have to keep your messages to 60 seconds for now, but we'd love to include it on the show. Thanks. Once again, to Small Subjects, Big Ideas About Miniatures and Modeling. I'm Jim DeRogatis in Chicago. And I'm Barry Biediger in Salt Lake City. Well, this is a fun one, Barry. Uh, This is uh, one of the rare um, interviews we conducted. Uh, Started with an email. Hey, guys, interview me. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, said with much more humor than that, than I indicate, because Pat Stansel is one of the funniest guys in our hobby. He is. Yeah, I've always um, loved his his humor. Always loved his humor. And I, um, you know, we had talked about uh, many episodes ago now, we did some of our favorite books and publications. And I was a huge fan, as you were, of Military Miniatures in Review. Pat Stansel was a co-founder of the publishing company Ampersand uh, that put out that magazine for... You know, I I don't know, uh, uh, what, 10 years? It was around 20 years. 20 years, two decades. And, yeah, I'm at a loss here because I went uh, diving into my magazine's collection, got the full run of campaigns, right? Pretty complete run of historical miniatures, uh, Amazing Figure Modeler, which I love. Mm -hmm. And I know I had a stack of military miniatures in review, which I would never have jettisoned. Mm I, I got rid of all my old fine-scale modelers. Yeah, I, there were only a, a because, few articles I kept from that. You know, once in a while, there was like how to clean your airbrush, you know. Well, I, I kept but, the uh, Paul Budzik articles. Who Those were like, worth their weight in gold. And we're going to talk about him at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, because I remember that name as well. But I can't find my MMIRs. Uh, and uh, the humor in that magazine... Uh, and and the slogans on the masthead mm-hmm. and the uh, uh, cartoon captions he would add to uh, uh, his mini men column. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all of all of which we talk about in this interview. So I don't want to tip it, but you've got your stack in front of us. Yeah. Uh, uh, give give me some of the favorite slogans on those covers. Oh, let's see. So I think this was the last one they did, but uh, this one says MMIR. We like tanks, and so do you. Let's take our relationship to the next level. <laughs> that's pretty just good just a couple more uh, one, yeah. uh, MMIR making the hobby a safer place one sprue at a time <laughs> MMIR now with 17.25% more adjectives and verbs hey one more just that, one more that's a published that's a publisher edit, editor publisher speaking there editors you know verbs and adjectives just one more really quick, sorry. Mm-hmm. Hold on. No, I love it. I love it. MMIR, now with 15% more bad puns and dumb jokes. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of fitting. Yeah. 
Well, and they delivered on every promise they ever made on their cover, uh, in the cover line, uh, along with excellent photography. Really nice, in-depth builds, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it wasn't just too many times in modeling mags, even the ones that now cost $15, $20. A lot of beautiful pictures of the finished uh, vehicle and maybe one or two of like opening the box and how did you get from there to there i i, I love that yeah. i mean that was one of the the uh, benefits of having a great dead tree print magazine sure. yeah. uh to be able to linger over those photos and chart the modeler's progression uh but without further ado i say we dive into talking to pat uh live from delray beach florida Thanks for doing this, Pat. It's a pleasure to have you. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I appreciate you guys uh, deciding I was important enough to have on your show. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I uh, Usually we start with the how did you get started? How did you discover this hobbit, uh, this uh, hobby of... Uh, Hobbit, Hobbit. <laughs> this hobby of miniatures and weenies. But I want to start somewhere different with you, Pat. Um, we don't know where you've been. What have you been up to? On the social medias, you're not uh, a, a huge presence. Are you still uh, building armor? Are you still into it? Are you still... Uh, uh, yeah. What, I, what you doing? I, I, I got to be honest with you guys. I was a little traumatized uh, closing my company. It, uh, it, it, uh, uh, after 22 years uh, in the business, it's, it's smarts. Uh, and yeah, uh, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I just kind of regressed a little bit. Um, I, uh, as a result of me closing, I had to sell my book collection, which was, you know, almost a hobby in itself. I had over a thousand books, uh, and that just felt like, I don't know, I I don't know if you guys can relate, but it just felt like almost like losing a kidney. Um, and, um, it really took the wind out of my motivation, but I, I've stayed active in other areas, um, I still have been working on publishing projects as a ghostwriter. Um, mm. uh, I've done a lot of that actually. Um, <clears throat> and I'm not allowed to say who I did it for, uh, <laughs> because you were a ghost. Exactly. Exactly. I'm not even there. Um, uh, but, uh, and I've also been, um, I have been working on a revised version of the, uh, Sherman design and development title that we did back in 2013. Um, mm-hmm. we also, uh, I say we, cause I have a, uh, David Doyle and I have been working on uh, reprints of some books that we did. Hey, look at that. There it is, the <clears> Sherman <throat> book. It's a Bible. And uh, David actually has all those titles right now, and he's releasing them little by little. Um, but that includes some uh, issues of our very, very successful uh, Allied Axis series, uh, mm-hmm. which was actually way more successful than the magazine. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, well, you know, I, you know, there were a smattering of comments online when uh, Military Miniatures in Review went under. Uh, you know, I subscribed for a year and I got two issues and blah, 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 blah. And I suppose, Pat, I, uh, I felt your pain and understood your position as someone who has seen dead tree media uh, disappear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I never expected to spend my life doing anything but being a professional uh, music journalist and music critic. And it's not like I left the profession. The profession left me. Yeah. 
Um, you know, this shift to everything being online, everything being free. Uh, Military Ministers in Review was a beautiful publication, mm-hmm. wonderfully edited, uh, brilliantly written, uh, photo reproduction top notch, as are yeah. all of your books. Yeah, yeah. that's doing keep the, on keep talking. going. Yeah, keep going. Well. You know, uh, and then <laughs> and, and, and then, funny, then, funny too. Oh yeah, I was going to get to the humor. That's a whole topic in and of itself. Um, but when it when under, uh, I imagine, just a shit ton of crap fell on your head, uh, bills owed, no income, uh, <clears throat> you know, I don't think people understand uh, the impact. I mean, they do in the hobby stores. We got mm-hmm. none of them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because they can't afford to be in business. So why would they expect it would be different for a publication? Yeah, I, I don't know if your, your listeners are interested in the story, but um, uh, it is... Uh, um, it involves uh, a domestic disagreement. Nah. Uh, let's put it that way, and um, that uh, was uh, financially devastating. Uh, I really lost everything. If it's any consolation, hey guys, who lost your your subscriptions? I lost everything. Uh, yeah, I didn't have two yeah, nickels to yeah. rub together. I mean, for real. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, also saw twenty two years of hard work go right down the the uh, you know the the sink. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was tough to get over and, uh, you know, it was a pretty complicated situation. I had business partners, a business partner, um, who, uh, shall remain nameless for the sake of our conversation, uh, who also was going through a domestic disagreement. Uh, so, so that meant some changes. As if what the techies, the techies, uh, you know, uh, call it uh, sanitized uh, disruption. Yes. Uh, you know, dear, dear publisher, too bad you've lost your livelihood and dreams and blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, technology. Yep. You know, I was yep. like, well, F you, you know. Well, so personal stuff on top of yeah. that. And, and you know, uh, that, uh, that, you know, <laughs> that thing that was going on on the other side of the planet meant that they had to withdraw their financial support from us. So, yeah, it was really just being cut loose from everything all at once. And um, it was kind of a perfect storm of, of um, crap. <laughs> and, I'm um, sorry to hear that. Yeah, I, I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me, though. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I wrote a little sort of editorial when I closed the company, and I said in it, uh, the buck stops here. You know, everything that happened, yeah. uh, I did it, uh, you know. And... Um, I, uh, you know, it was all my fault. Uh, you know, I'm responsible for all of it. So uh, it was just, it was just a big disappointment. And it really, it does take the wind out of your sails when it comes to pursuing, um, you know, kind of a, a, a hobby and something that you loved for many years. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah. I, I've kind of, like I said, I've kind of kept it alive through the publishing. And I do have some, I think, I hope, some exciting modeling books planned. Uh, I have, um, I'm on the tail end of a of a very long kind of a uh, uh, you know resurgence uh, path, uh, which is you know a, a harder when you don't uh, you know not funded. <laughs> but yeah, uh, well then it's a, a perfect time to talk to you. Yeah. You're on the comeback yeah. trail, <laughs> and I, I I can tell you that um, the um, forces of good did finally triumph over the forces of evil, uh, but. Mm. <laughs> All you adults out there can guess and 
and your mom and dad will explain <laughs> to the kids. Um, yeah, but it was yeah. a little too late, you know. Um, I, yeah. I I got yeah. a I got a life, but uh, I I didn't have a, a business. But you know, I had some mentors coming up. Um, uh, a guy by the name of Al Schlesinger, uh, who old who owned uh, Old Guard Hobbies in uh, Moore in Michigan, and uh, mm-hmm. another fellow who worked for uh, Squadron MMD for a number of years, Walt Lisinski, and uh, wherever you are, Walt, I'm butchering your name uh, really bad. Uh, but uh, I don't think I don't think. But once we ever used his his last name, but he had Walt's Hobby Shop on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. He also had, um, um, well, twice he had it. <laughs> but he was a guy who really know knew how to go out of business and come back. Uh, he uh, he did it. He did it yeah. so well. And Al was his uh, Al was his partner, and uh, <clears throat> we lost both those guys years ago. Uh, but boy, they had some stories. You know, Walt could tell you stories all day long. He he actually ran the squadron shops, all of them, for a while, mm. and then uh, ran the last one and closed that one down. Uh, but boy, he knew where all the bodies were buried. That guy. Well, you know the the number of stores, uh, manufacturers, uh, publications that we've lost in the hobby. It's always sad. Um, you know, but uh, part of our love of this hobby is love of the history. So, you know, I have the entire print run of campaigns, and right next to it is the entire print run of historical miniatures, and an almost complete, not quite, MMIR stack. <laughs> Let's talk about what was so great about your magazine. It starts with one of my favorite masthead sayings uh, that you had, uh, and I'm going to butcher it because I didn't highlight it. You know, the professionals, Barry, uh, highlight uh, <laughs> on their note sheet. Um, you know, or something about, you know, uh, read the world's greatest hobby magazine and then and read, then this, read one. this one. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the, it, was, uh, uh, it was a weird, uh, the magazine was a weird journey, I got to tell you. I, uh, I had, uh, my background was in graphic design. I had a graphic design business actually for many years. I've, I've been an entrepreneur I am no longer an entrepreneur, but I had been an entrepreneur from the time I was, I think, 25. So, um, and you're working for a small startup now, right? No, I actually, I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, at least as of, 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 of the date of this recording. Um, but uh, so when I started the magazine, uh, something happened that was maybe good, but also bad is that people thought it was from a big company. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was able to present it in such a way that it looked like a grown-up magazine, uh, but it was yeah. always just me in a room <laughs> producing that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I tried really hard to grow that business. Um, and then, uh, we did, we did finally get funding. Uh, we did, uh, have a, uh, we started a brand new company in 2008. Uh, I was in partnership with a Japanese firm. Um, let's call them um, Mysterious Japanese Benefactor, or MGB, MJB, <laughs> MJB for short, and uh, MJB. Does that nothing to do with the Yakuza? Did oh God, it? no. Uh, well, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it did. I don't know. But uh, you know that that allowed us to grow. But um, yeah, I I felt that I always needed to continually sort of poke holes in the idea that we were a big magazine and. Uh, the fact that we, you know, released the magazine somewhat less frequently than people wanted, 
seem to really make them mad. They're like, you know, we're such a big company. Why can't you get that thing out? You know, why don't you just buckle down and and um, yeah. and do it? And, and you know, we we frequently just couldn't afford it. You know, um, it took a long time. Um, for many years, we printed the magazine in the country in this country, and um, mm-hmm. it just got more and more expensive to do that. And we just had to wait till we paid the last printing bill before we could print the next one. So sometimes yeah. that took a little yeah. bit longer. And um, eventually we, we went to China, which made the magazine a little more profitable. But actually we went to Korea first to get it printed. And, um, and uh, <clears throat> that's a whole other podcast right there. A whole different, <laughs> a whole different world uh, uh, teaching. Uh, I had to be having to teach myself how to um, do international, uh, uh, how to do imports and bring, bring products in. Yeah, yeah. But that, yeah. that changed things for us. But uh, over the course of, uh, of many years, it was a real labor of love. And um, I think, you know, some, some of its demise was seated in the fact that uh, MJB did not like the magazine. It, it wasn't. Mm. It took so much time. I put so much effort into it uh, that it didn't. It didn't really make that much money. It kind of broke mm-hmm. broke even, right, um, right. you know, right. after a while. Um, and uh, there was all you know. We were already experiencing. You guys joke around about Dead Tree Media, but we were already experiencing that contraction uh, going mm-hmm. into our partnership uh, in two thousand eight. And uh, you know, the examination of it from from an accounting point of view was was always a little disappointing. They we kept it because they liked the idea of it being a platform to produce other, or I'm sorry, promote other products, mm-hmm. um, which we were, you know, starting to produce. You know, other other uh, periodicals and of course books. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think beyond that though, Pat, uh, beyond the self-deprecating humor, uh, we're not as big as you may think we are. Um, there's also a tendency in the hobby sometimes to take it too seriously. If you don't know what I mean, uh, oh, visit the hospitality yeah. suite, not on Friday of the show, but on <laughs> Saturday after the awards when it becomes the hostility suite. Yeah. Uh, you know, and let's not forget, we are playing with midgets and weenies yep. here, right? Yep, yep, yep. Or as uh, MMIR called the mini men, yep. right? You know, um, it was refreshing. Uh, you know, in addition to in-depth how-to builds that were more than just about, I threw the kit together and then uh, 10 more pages about painting and weathering it, um, you guys went in-depth in the articles. You, you gave us a lot of history and references to the real world, and you gave us this sense of humor <laughs> that this is supposed to be fun. Yeah, yeah don't forget to have fun uh, on your way to the hobby. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny uh, too, and 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 I don't think most people realize this, but your average Osprey book had about um, one fifth the content as a single mm. issue of MMIR did. To give you the idea of how much yeah. you know how how long that took took to put together, uh, in addition to the Mini Men section, which we would we would build um, sometimes as many as a hundred figures. Uh, and yeah. then spray them, you know, some neutral color. And that's not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> and it doesn't no, sound easy. I, I, 
I love that insanity. The first time I talked to you, I think you were you were looking for champagne pictures or something. I, I asked right about that right away because it was so wonderful uh, that you had taken the time to clean up all those molds, yes, yeah. put together all those figures, prime them all gray, and we really got a sense in those pages, along with the hysterically funny captions. Mm. Um, you know, we got a sense of of what those figures were and were they going to yeah. be worth our investment. It's incredibly useful. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, and I still have, boy, I have, that's the one thing I saved. Um, you know, everything got sold towards the end, so that, you know, all the all the stuff. Uh, and I know you guys are essentially figure guys, but my first love was figures, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, I saved all the figures. Uh, <laughs> I have, I have, um, it's funny. A storage shed. Well, no, I, it's, a, it's a big plastic tote. I think there's two of them. Uh -huh. And they're full of uh -huh. all the figures that I collected over the years, as well as the figures that I deemed, um, you know, savable <laughs> from many men. Yeah. Anything resin or metal, that yeah. went right in my box. Um, yeah. Oh, there you go. And, uh, yeah, the guy that worked for me uh, for years, a couple of guys that worked for me, are always like, so how do we divvy up the mini men? I'm like, yeah, anything resin or metal, that's mine. You know, you get, you get the rest. <laughs> you're, take, take, take whatever else you like. Um, can you imagine Barry recovering from the trauma of that much mold cleaning up? Uh, no, I can't. I can't imagine. That. I couldn't do it. Yeah, I did yeah. it. I did it for about oh gosh, maybe fifteen years, and then mm -hmm. and then uh, <laughs> and then I had other guys do it. <clears throat> um, yeah, I had I you know towards the end there we had I had one full time employee and there was a point at which we had uh, we had a lot of people working for us uh, and in addition to contributors. Um, and this is in the days before remote work, kids. We had people working yeah. for us, mm -hmm. uh, you know, all over the country and, and in some cases all over the world, uh, which was fun. You know, it was just fun having to uh, uh, or getting to, uh, you know, touch base with those people and keep in touch with them and, mm -hmm. and then more than occasionally visit them. Uh, I, did a, I did a lot of traveling as a result of the magazine and... Um, uh, you know, I just had a ball. I, I probably should have stayed home more, but <laughs> I had a ball. I, I, uh, I had a chance. Uh, I had a chance to meet people uh, that I never would have had the opportunity to meet, and I, I had the chance to form friendships. And, you know, I, I hear you guys talk about that sometimes too. That's one of the really great things about the hobby is being able to yeah. form those friendships and and really have a um, have a way of of uh, connecting with people. That you never would have otherwise, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was drinking with the guy. I'm sorry. You know, I meant water. I was drinking one night <laughs> with um, <laughs> with a bunch. Uh, after Euro, uh, there was a there was a particularly uh, sort of seedy hotel we were all would gather to, um, you know, have our various beverages. And I remember uh, I was drinking uh, uh, soda with a guy one night who, uh, after like several uh, after several cokes. He told me he was uh, at Tiananmen Square uh, the day they, they oh, raided wow. it. And uh, just a crazy story, you know. It just blew me away. Yeah. But, it, you know, never, I, I mean, how, how I have talked to someone like that ever. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And, of course, I've, I met, you know, a lot of um, influential people in the hobby. Um, you know, I had a chance to meet with uh, this guy. I don't know if you heard of him, Shepard Payne. I met him once. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of other uh, authors, and I, I was uh, a terrific. Uh, I think. I mean, we didn't have a, a close friendship, but I was a, a 
Bob Letterman was a great uh, acquaintance yeah. of mine, a business acquaintance, was a terrific guy. Um, I wrote a little piece about him on, on his uh, site when he passed. Uh, that really hit me. Boy, I didn't even you know know he was sick. That, that one really hit me. Um, but uh, I had a chance to meet Lewis and, uh, you know, Francois and all those guys. Uh, the late Dave Harper uh, uh, was a friend. And it was just uh, just a ton of fun. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, and I, I met you. Uh, you contacted yeah, me. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, I, by the way, I tried. Uh, there's a there's a hard drive that I can't find the cable for that has that picture I sent you for the book you did on Chep. Uh, that mm. has the um, five guys standing around a tiger. Mm, um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was uh, like one of the one of my favorite things. Which and that was done specifically for a photograph, and I was mm. so completely inspired by Shep for that because, you know, yeah. I would, you know, occasionally I didn't have time to make a diorama, but you know, I would come up with one <laughs> just for right, the camera. Right. Right. To make you green with envy at this point, um, uh, Joe Burton and I, when we road tripped out to MFCA a couple of weeks ago, we uh, were helping a, a widow clean out uh, her husband, the collector's uh, collection. So the uh, Shepane Armor Project Number 1, the 125th scale uh, tiger, is sitting uh, in, the, in the room next to me. Wow. Uh, with the turret that comes off and the interior and the, you know, the, the ruined Willie's Jeep next to it. And it's, uh, uh, you know, Joe intends for either me or Barry to buy it. Uh, one of us <laughs> should. Anyway, or, you know, we can bring you into the trio. Sure, and sure. then we just, you know, six months at each pl- person's place. It's, Move it around it's, the country. Such a thing of beauty. It's, uh, it's, it's there amazing. right there, right where you are? Uh, no, it's in the library where Carmel's oh, working. Okay. I thought, because so I've I never would... seen it. I've never seen any actual proof that you have it. So. Oh, well, I'll take you there. I had, to, you know, the, um, the antenna uh, snapped off, and I had to fix that, and some of the tow cable came loose. But, and also, I'm really afraid to take the turret tops off. I did it once uh, since it's been home two weeks, in my home anyway. And, uh, and, you know, but then the figures are, like, not glued in. And, and, and I don't want them to <laughs> fall you know, out or anything. That is one well, of my favorites his because that thing is a dog i mean it barks it barks and those yeah, figures the, the which were a yeah. Dog. Yeah. just panographed yeah. off off the really awful 130 scale versions you know that those guys you know with the and and if, you know you guys can't yeah. see me but i'm yeah. i'm pretending to be a tamia really bad tamia figure from 1970 but uh Right, just awful, awful stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stiff, and, um, stiff as I don't know anything. if you guys are yeah. familiar with the work of um, Masahiro Doi. He he was a great great contributor to Armor Modeling Magazine as well as uh, mm-hmm. uh, Model Graphics for many years. Uh, he's another uh, you know acquaintance from my travels, yeah. and uh, he loves that stuff. You know, he's the same age as probably us or me, and he uh, loves to to get his hands on that stuff and kind of rework mm. it. And but it's funny, like he'll do it, but he won't. It won't quite. He just do a couple things to it, you know. He just likes to. He likes the way that, and he just redid that. Um, yeah. That command yeah. group set. Um, for the, the yeah, they they used to offer with the Panzer three, and oh, uh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. And uh, do you remember that that came in a um, MRC offered the time capsule? Yes, yeah. yes, and yes. It was. Uh, remember this? It was a, a, a two halves of a bottle. And you built the figures, and then they gave you a print a printed placard, and you put it all in there and put it together and looked at it and went, "What did I just do?" Oh yeah, and, and, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, I mean, it was just the most 
Yeah. Lame thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was oh. like it was like a, a pseudo sort of uh, box diorama. Right. Uh, at the same time that Tonka was putting out those like you know box dioramas in yeah. plastic. Yeah. Um, but but you know I think Pat always always on the cutting edge of trends in the modeling world. We had done an interview with Calvin Tan recently, and he for kicks did the uh, Soldiers at Rest vintage yeah. 80s kit and tried to bring it to life uh, circa 2022 standards. So it's interesting <clears throat> that some people are going back to because you look at those figures and if you really study the the poses in the Shep diorama, uh, they're still stiff. He didn't do any reworking on them, but the painting brought them to life. Yeah, that know? and it's yeah, that's that's where um, I never. Um, as a figure artist, I never really got that. Um, I always wanted to work the sculpture. Um, and I always admired that about Shep because he could, you know, bring those dogs to life with a paint job. And, um, but I, you know, my thing is always like, I gotta have that, you know, I gotta have that great sculpture. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, <laughs> this anecdote no, For is... mediocre painters, if you're not starting with a good sculpture, you right. have no hope. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if this anecdote will resonate with anyone, but I, I sort of forced my way into a friendship with Roger Saunders years ago, like in the oh, 80s. I loved his sculpts. Yeah. In the 80s. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, I was reflecting on this the other day and I thought, you know, I think I'm Roger's friend, but I actually might just have been a person who didn't recognize when the English were really being polite. And that <laughs> probably, probably 90% of the time I just should have said no. Like, hey, you can come and stay at my house. Oh, okay. And I should have just said, "Oh no," <laughs> you know. And yeah, um, yeah. but uh, I met him in Orlando. I was so desperate to meet him. I drove up to Orlando. I live in South Florida, and I drove up there because uh, Roger used to love to travel by himself, uh, which was always brave, uh, in especially in the United States <laughs> when you're from England, uh, driving on the on the right wrong side of the road, and um, but uh, and we would see each other just you know every year and. Uh, and uh, as a result, I, and I still have those too. They're they're somewhat over my shoulder here. Mm. I still have a whole huge box of horned heads uh, because oh. the, you know he was always very gracious in providing me with samples and extras. And occasionally yeah. I would go to him and say, "Hey, you know, can I buy like a million heads from you?" And he'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, here's a bill." And then he'd look at it and go, "Oh, that's too high. Hold on." And he'd give me the bill, and I go to pay it. He goes, "Oh no, that's still too high." And you know, we, and, and then I, and finally it would end up being okay. I'm paying for dinner. Uh, where, where are we at now? And um, yeah, but uh, that's and that's a I kept all that and that's a prized part of my collection. Um, I, I've also really enjoyed um, uh, Tae Sung Harm's stuff. I have a lot of that. Mm, yeah, um, that was actually probably one of my last big purchases. Was a bunch of his stuff, um, and. Um, you know, I always try to include uh, figures with my armor. Uh, anything I did for the magazine always had a figure in it. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I, boy, I tried like heck to find a uh, photograph. So I, like I said, I couldn't get access to that um, that hard drive. <laughs> but yeah, I, you, need, I, you need a 13-year-old to help you out. Right. Well, I, what I need <laughs> is... Uh, I, I bought a... Uh, this, this thing goes back years. I have this five hard drive array it's called a drovo mm. and mm. Uh, the technology is the equivalent of the model t now it's from it's probably from 2010 <laughs> <Yeah>. you know <laughs> yeah yeah 
So I got I to gotta find a way to get all that stuff. That's got well, well, but, but all the magazines. But you dodge this. I always, uh, some of my favorite articles, you had a lot of great contributors, um, but some of my favorite pieces were yours, your modeling. So, so mm -hmm. you, you said you're getting back into the, the publishing end of it. We're excited to hear about that. But have you been, you know, sniffing glue and uh, 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 dipping your paintbrush? Uh, no. No. Uh, the last thing I did, uh, which is what I wanted you to see, was... Uh, uh, the Florian Geyer uh, Grenadier that Taysun did. Uh, mm -hmm. That was kind of left on the table. Um, I also did a um, one of the John Smith model bow uh, World War One figures, mm. um, which is here. And I have I have built myself a studio, which is what you see behind me. And that yeah. those those <laughs> those two pieces, along with a couple of others, uh, keep me company um, when I'm doing stuff like that. Uh, like this, uh, but yeah, yeah unfortunately, yeah. I just haven't, and it's uh, and that's painful. Uh, that is, uh, but uh, you know, I'm setting up this studio too. Uh, you can see it over my shoulder. Mm -hmm. um, nice setup. I have um, a, a huge bench in here, uh, and I have uh, I purchased a lot of equipment. I have a compressor. I all my brushes and paints and my actually, you can see it right over my my shoulder here. There's a tab array that's full of paint. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's got. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, that's the one thing. Like, what is that? Right? That's. Gosh, you know, all those bottles of paint, and there's also in yep. there an entire drawer full of uh, Sennelier oils, mm -hmm. which you may recall are like thirty dollars a tube. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Those were carefully preserved. My wife's like, yeah. "What are these?" I'm like, "Don't touch those." Um, <laughs> and. Um, and those survive. Those survive some some trips into the into in and out of storage. Um, yeah. So uh, that'll be the first thing. Uh, that'll be the first first thing I, I do uh, is some figures. Uh, well, life yeah. is better, you know. I mean, Barry and I both uh, remind people whenever they're uh, kvetching or moaning. It's uh, like we do this for fun. I mm -hmm. sit down, even if it's for half an hour, and my painting session sucked, I walk away happier. Yeah. And it, it, it does take the bugs out, doesn't it? it yeah. It does get you calmed down. and Yeah. Um, I heard your, uh, by the way, I heard your um, conversation with uh, Marion Van mm -hmm. Gills. Yeah. And your, yeah. your many heroic attempts to correctly pronounce his name. Um, yeah. <laughs> which I believe we are ugly Americans, yeah. which I believe we may have all gotten wrong and he'll never tell us. He's so nice. Right. Yeah, right. You know, we'll never know. Too polite. To um, tell us, yeah. uh, for all we know, the M is silent. We just don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, you know, I was thinking back about um, and, and hopefully maybe you'll enjoy this anecdote. Uh, I had a chance. I was never asked back. And that's another story. But I had a chance to judge Euro <laughs> mm. the year. He had his Italian balloonists, mm. oh. and um, I remember uh, the uh, the head judge kind of told us when it was time to uh, select best of show. He's like, you know, he gave us a long speech. He's like, you know, this best of show at Euro is a special thing. And, I, and hey, hey, you know, I was drinking the Kool Aid, man. I a hundred percent agreed. I was so thrilled yeah. to be yeah. there judging that work, um, and uh, and I. I don't think I ever told him this story, but uh, he said, now it's time for you guys to all pick what you think should be best to show and bring it over here so we can continue to narrow it down. And I went right over to the balloonists and, you know, with terror in my heart, 
I picked it up and I brought it over to the, you know, the, the final table. And, um, you know, and, I, and then I gave like an impassioned speech. I'm like, this represents to me everything about Euro. It is mm. brilliantly creative. It is brilliantly executed. Um, it's something that nobody in this room would have ever thought of doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, None of us are smart enough to figure this out. And then uh, the mechanics of it. Uh, you know, you've seen the piece. It's entirely supported yeah. by wire. Um, yeah. And um, so that so the piece itself is supported by wire. And then the uh, balloon rigging actually terminates into infinity, which mm-hmm. is other another sort of freaky thing. I'm like, okay, how did you figure out where all of those things were going to end? Because it's not yeah, a yeah, straight. Yeah, yeah. It's not a straight line. It's actually a yeah. sphere. They terminate yeah. <laughs> into a sphere that isn't there. Yeah. And it's yep. like, are yeah. you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and he's, uh, I, I think he's such an interesting guy because he doesn't really, he's so humble. He doesn't want to tell you. Like right. you want to, you right. want to go, you want to like, you know, grovel at his feet and go, oh, tell me how you did that. I, I can't believe yeah. it. Um, but he's just like, well, you know, I, I, and he will tell you, but, uh, that's another great thing about his work too, is it's just the, um, the best part about his work is not seeing it. Uh, well, it is seeing it, but it's realizing that it just sort of came out of that head, you know. Yeah. And yeah. And, mm-hmm. and there's not that much conversation about the piece. Yeah. The conversation is what you're seeing. Right. Um, yeah. Right. You you finish the story yourself. Right. right. Which is the beauty right. of any piece of artwork. Um, you know. Uh, I used to be a fine artist many years ago and a lot less gray hair. Um, and yeah, I mean, you, you are, uh, you are taking someone on a trip with any piece of art, no matter what it is. And he's definitely taking on that trip. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. you know, I mean, talking about that, uh, and Marin's work, um, you know, it seemed to me that MMIR was, and, and by that I mean you, we've established. One man shop, you got some help at the end, but essentially your vision um, was always advocating for more of that creativity, that storytelling, that sense of humor, um, which I think is often especially lacking in the ordinance end of the hobby. You know, uh, we, we tend to have guys who are all obsessed about the right length of the grab handle in 135th scale, <laughs> right? Oh, very I'm important, Jim. Much, Come on now. Uh, uh, very important. You know, I'm trying to avoid the rivet counter cliche, but that we'll throw that in there, too. Um, no, with, the, with the humor and with the dioramas you highlighted, you were always kind of urging uh, hobbyists to, to uh, do more. You know, have some fun, tell some stories show a little creativity yeah um and you know more than anything else because of my background in in uh design and advertising the magazine was a promotional tool uh and its job was to promote the hobby uh yeah so i i really did try to do that i don't know if i was successful um i you know i do still troll all the shows that take place and Mm um you know i mean I don't know if this is going to sound a little harsh, but I do still kind of go, wow, there's an awful lot of Tigers and Shermans just sitting there yeah. on a base. Yeah. Yeah. Now, look, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, if that guy had fun doing it, then he's a success. Uh, sure. But, um, you know, you think about a guy like um, Marion. Marion? Marion? Marion, yeah. Marion. Marion. Yeah. Marion. 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 Marion
And um, they were British balloonists. I, I got that wrong, too. You probably got the... It- did I, I say Italian? Any- you know what? I got that from you. You said yeah, Italian. Probably yeah, yeah, from yeah. Me. It's your fault. I figured if, oh. if they were bailing out, they must have been Italian. Right. right? Well, you know, <laughs> they, they, uh, they were going somewhere, those guys, but they... they um, uh, I lost my train of thought there, but no, what I was saying was um, I, I do love it when I see somebody who's gone that extra length um, yeah. And there, you know, there can be beauty in just that thing that's sitting there. Um, sure. You know, sure. uh, is it uh, Martin or Marantello from? Um, yeah, he does. Uh, he does some stuff, but you know, it, it was if you know his stuff is not just sitting there. Obviously, there's a story, but it frequently involves a lot of humans, a lot of miniature humans, and um, I think that um, that is kind of. I guess the point I'm trying to get at is that I think. Uh, I always try to encourage people to do more figures, to bring more, because that, I think that does, cr- cr- you know, create creativity. <laughs> that that yeah. makes it yeah. seem more real. And um, there's a guy, uh, you know this guy, uh, Martin Kovics, he calls himself Night Shift. Oh, yeah. He's got the, yeah. yeah. He did a thing, his, his most recent video actually, is where he paints uh, figures all in acrylics. And I'm like, dude, you know, I, I just watched you do you know, micro chipping on a, you know, a one centimeter square section of your tank that has more yeah. oil work in it than any figure <laughs> on earth. Yeah. yeah. And you're yeah. painting in acrylics. It's like, dude, you could do it. You know, you have the capability and, um, yeah. and ability. Uh, and I, I often, uh, encourage people to try, uh, these techniques and just practice at them. Um, and you can really master them quickly. Uh, and I don't know why there's that kind of block for, for folks. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, we, we've talked a, about that before, yeah. but it's amazing how uh, and people will actually get kind of angry and say, yeah. well, you don't explain what you're doing. Well, you kind of have to get in there and start messing with it before you know what questions to ask um, yeah. in some way. I, I did a video years ago for um, uh, Model Graphics. Uh, it was an armor modeling magazine. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, on how to paint hornet heads. And uh, it's an abbreviated technique that was uh, kind of perpetuated by Francois Verlinden. Uh, it's the glazing technique where you, you put, you know, uh, yeah. like a base coat on and then take it all off over uh, uh, like tan acrylic paint. Yeah. And um, I still think that's the easiest and uh, quickest method. Uh, but the thing that people most uh, misunderstand about that te- technique is how little paint you have to use. And that really goes, uh, I think, also to the use of oils on, on uh, larger areas, too. You really have to use very, very little paint. And most guys are kind of like, you know, they're, they think it's one of the old testers, uh, you know, car modeling yeah. bottles. They're going <laughs> to dip it right in there and slather it on. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, it, it's, that, that's really the discipline there is just, um, just using very, very, very small amounts of paint. And uh, once you do that, you can get some spectacular effects. Um, but, uh, you know, well, some I, I think that's that that's true. Uh, and also, uh, even if your skills are not up to the level of, of some of these masters, uh, either at an ordinance show or at a figure show, the effect that a piece that no one else has seen before, minor conversions of the figures, an imaginative diorama with some story, 
those are the pieces that stick with you, <laughs> right? Yep. And, you know, I mean, it, we, Barry and I are often, uh, you know, say, I don't know how I'm ever going to get from bronze to silver or how I'm ever going to get to the next level, right? It's like, well, show me something I haven't seen before. And that's going to, uh, you know, arrest my imagination. Yeah, yeah, that, um, yeah, and I, um, one of the things that I've been tinkering with, and it'll probably be the first thing I'm back to doing is uh, I got real fascinated with 24 scale stuff at some point. Mm. And I bought, uh, gosh, it's like a million years ago now, I bought at a show a 125th scale midget racer. Mm. And um, I have tinkered with, uh, you know, doing a, a, like a sculpted piece. It's going to have, obviously, someone else's hands and, and head. Uh, but the driver is going to be either standing next to it or sitting on it or leaning against it. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I'm sort of obsessed with that. Like, what what haven't I seen? What what mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. is what is really just what are we not doing? Um, yeah. And um, remember, remember the guy down in Texas um, uh, did he did a lot of that? Uh, he did a lot of original scratch, but he worked with motorcycles a lot. Oh, um, uh, Alex, Alex DeLeon. Leon. Alex DeLeon. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, memory. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, he, uh, I remember he did a piece, uh, he went to MasterCon every year, as did I, and he would mm -hmm. always bring some, you know, every year he'd bring something more spectacular than the, than the last. And, uh, one year he brought a 1 16th scale scratch built World War One airplane. Mm, yeah. And mm -hmm. the pilot was sitting cross-legged on the wheel mm -hmm. with his dog next to him. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to go home. I don't, you yeah. know, I, yeah. I don't even I know why I'm bothering. A, <laughs> I think he was uh, MMSI best to show with that when he when he brought yeah. that. Yeah. Oh or yeah. When he did the motorcyclist racing in the uh, what do they call the the circle, barrel the upside the psych, down yeah yeah or whatever yeah cyclodrome yeah. And, yeah uh, no Alex is is uh, has got a tremendous amount of creativity and the scratch building skills that you know bar none. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, have you seen his stuff lately? Because I last thing I saw was this kind of weird thing he did on a like a dragon wagon. I think he was, seemed like he was yeah. kind of taking a break a little bit from doing the really crazy stuff. And I'm like, get back to it, Alex. I want to see it. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. that was about, uh, I think that one of the last shows before the pandemic. So around, yeah. I think it was 2019 that yeah. was the last time I saw him at a show. It's hard he, to say the world ended there for a couple of years. Yeah. Back. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, my son, my teenage son, who's in college now, uh, before, just before the pandemic, I said, Hey, would you like to go to a show? in um in the netherlands with me and he's like yeah that'd be great you know when are we going to do that and i'm like oh we'll, we'll do that this fall mm. you know yeah. whatever <laughs> whenever no it was it was going to be spring of 20 i don't even know what year it is anymore but yeah it was going to be like spring of 2020 and um and yeah we didn't do that uh yeah. and of course you know the the time that your uh, teenage son is willing to uh, do that with 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 the dad is is pretty limited so narrow window <laughs> yeah, narrow i missed window. that window but yeah. yeah we were we were going to go to that uh that show there that yeah, i heard such great things about yeah, yeah. they've uh, taken over uh they're doing world expo yeah uh, this summer uh so so uh the new publishing projects a new edition of the sherman bible yeah and, and it's kind of it's kind of crazy mm-hmm um, How it's, so? It's two vi Well, the first book was, the first book was, uh, I think, four hundred. Oh, I got it here. Was yeah. um, <clears throat> three hundred eighty-six pages, 
Um, the second yeah. book is going to be two uh, 450-page books wow. <laughs> to get together mm. in a box set. Uh, wow. But I set out to tell the entire story of the tank's development um, from the earliest days um, right through the end of the war, and I did it by factory. Uh, mm. So that means I had to do detailed essays on uh, 10 different factories uh, for the first wow. half of the book, some of which are actually small books. Um, mm. It's funny, I have my... Uh, I have I have one of them here, a little little dummy. Um, mm. Obviously, we're we're speaking. No one can see us, but this yeah the the section on Presto Car is sixty five pages, so it's wow. it's kind of a book by itself. Um, and uh, some of the other chapters, like for instance, Chrysler is split into uh, uh, four parts, uh, and um, it, it's just huge. It's got uh, over a thousand photographs in it. It's not going to be for everybody. I'm printing it in pretty limited numbers. I'm only going to originally, yeah. uh, initially print a thousand copies, which I may never sell. But um, I felt that no one had ever really tried to cover this in print. Um, mm -hmm. And as you guys have discussed on your podcast, uh, print is pretty specialized now. But yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I made a pretty decent living for many years uh, catering to people who still wanted print. Um, and it's, the market is small. Um, I mean, I think we only printed 4,000 copies of the original Sherman book. Um, and they're selling on eBay or not eBay, but Amazon for some ridiculous price. And I think I saw it for like $275. I'm like, are you guys kidding me? Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. so the, the original one that, uh, that you have there or the, yeah, the original, hard, the hardcover, original. yeah, the original hardcover. Okay. Um, so yeah, I feel that, uh, there's still a limited market for this kind of thing. And, um, you know, the Honeycutt book, I, I know you guys aren't familiar with Ordnance that much, but the Honeycutt book is, uh, is a terrific piece of reference, but um, Dick Honeycutt set out to tell uh, more than just the Sherman story with that book. He mm -hmm. was, uh, you know, uh, more than just specifically the tank. He covers everything. He covers the Lee, the M3 in that. He covers all the variants. He covers Israeli, British. He covers all the self-propelled guns, anti-aircraft guns, everything. Uh, right. And I wanted to specifically focus on the uh, uh, the American gun tank. So mm -hmm. um, in doing that, I created a five, uh, I'm sorry, four view drawings of each variant, each specific variant. There's over 60 mm -hmm. drawings in the book. Um, and then, of course, there's a detailed essay, which I dare say most people probably won't read. But uh, I, I wrote it anyway, in case you feel like it. If you're, <laughs> if you're having trouble sleeping one night, it'll be there. Um, well, and it, is, it was your thesis, Pat, that these different factories all produced uh, uh, tanks of, of a little bit of different distinction. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, my, my ignorant approach is a Sherman's a Sherman's a Sherman, except when it's got that big extra gun on oh, it. Oh, man. Right. See, so I, I, I do want to say I, I am actually a, an armor nut, so I'm, I'm crazy about these things. So I yeah. have the Honeycutt book that, back there. It, it, um, there's a lot of detail in there, and uh, I think the overriding thesis was um, I explained this to a couple of people who were going to copy it at the book and then, and then didn't. Uh, <laughs> My overriding thesis was to kind of show what America used to really be good at, uh, which is um, 
like doing one thing and really doing it crazy, crazy good. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, doing it all the time, every day, the same way. Um, and I, to me, it's fascinating. I, um, I actually just finished uh, laying out the final chapter of the first book, which is about a company called Federal Machine and Welders, a tiny company in Warren, Ohio. Not tiny. They were you know, a decent-sized company. They made welding machines. And they were pretty successful at it. But they thought it would be cool if they made Sherman tanks. I mean, uh, they, they just thought it would be a, a, a great way of contributing to the war effort. Now, they only made 540 Sherman tanks. But mm-hmm. I, I just loved doing that chapter. The chapter is only 15 pages long because, you know, photographs of these four, 540 tanks are really scarce. I mean, it's really tough to find them. I dug a couple out of places I, you know, never expected to find them. But uh, to me, that was just fascinating. And I, I just loved writing about that. And um, I also found out that the factory where they made these tanks is still there. And as of a couple of months ago, it was for lease. Uh, federal machine and welder was long long ago absorbed into another company but their original facility which they expanded uh with their government contract is still there and it was still for lease and you could still see the test track across the street where they ran the shermans i mean wow i I don't know i i just i had a blast writing this book i hope that there's going to be a thousand guys that want it um i mean what my wife really hopes is there'll be two thousand guys um, yeah. but, um, <laughs> yeah. but well, uh, it's like it's like vinyl in the music world, Pat. It's right. a, a yeah. small market, but a discerning one. Yeah, and um, I'm still, you know, I don't have any books anymore. You can see a few of them. I'm rebuilding my collection, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, there, people are. I still get, I still buy books. So you know, I mean, people are buying books. It's kind of weird. I did a uh, yeah. a wonderful book for a good friend of mine, which whom I'll plug. Uh, Philip Metlin, uh, M-E-T-L-I-N, if you ever want to find him on, uh, he's on Instagram, he's a photographer. Um, I produced a book for him, uh, if you guys, you know, under the heading of what you've been up to. Uh, I produced a beautiful coffee table book. Uh, his specialty was photographing a certain section of uh, the beach, uh, it's called City Beach, on Palm Beach Island. Um, and he has spent the last 20 years getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning going out there and photographing amazing uh, images of this beautiful stretch of of the Atlantic uh, coast. And um, anybody who's interested can find that book. Uh, If you look him up, he's on Facebook and Instagram. Mm. And and we just, uh, you know, we designed uh, this beautiful piece uh, uh, to showcase his work. And um, that was just a ton of fun. So, um, you know, we only printed 500 copies. So yeah, yeah. It, mm-hmm. it it is it is a vinyl experience for sure. <laughs> but, yeah, but well, you uh, know when the zombie apocalypse comes and the internet goes down, you know my twenty uh, year old college students, it's like you know you're gonna treasure the you know I always think of that Twilight Zone episode, Burgess Meredith. Mm-hmm. Uh, the world has ended. He's by the library. You know he's he's happy as a pig and shit, and then his glasses break. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, so no, the uh, uh, the second two volumes um, is that is it all going to be about the development history, or are you going to add to some of the technical things? Because the first volume is just a really in detail, every last tiny detail about the different factory production. Uh, yeah, it's it's actually going to be way more than that because the the 2013 volume was a real compromise. Uh, you know, we we mm-hmm. as I've told you, we we did have business partners then. 
and uh, they were like, "Hey, you know, when are you releasing that book?" Uh, and of course, you know, uh, I had I had kids. I was raising a family off off my business, and um, mm-hmm. you know, you got to get that thing out. You, there's realities. You got to get that thing out. So the book yeah. that we published in 2013, as detailed as it was or is, uh, it was a compromise. And mm-hmm. um, I, uh, you know, I started working on the revised volume during the pandemic, and I'm like, why? What am I stopping? Why am I setting a limit? Why did I set a limit? Well, you know, I don't have those. I don't have a company. I don't have. A, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't have those responsibilities anymore. I just have uh, nothing but the, you know, the creative uh, impulse to follow. So, um, yeah, I, I originally thought it was going to fit in one 500-page book, um, but uh, it pretty quickly kind of grew out of that. Now we we did a book in 2015. Uh, actually, it was authored by David Doyle on the history of the Dodge truck uh, mm-hmm. in service with the uh, U.S. military. And um, that kind of thing, you know, obviously we, we've discussed there's, there's not a great market for hardcover books anymore, and there's even less of a market for two-volume box sets. But there is a market. So, um, yeah, that was why I pursued it. So, yeah, if you thought that level of detail was excruciating, uh, you're really going to uh, really get snowed <laughs> under with this one. Um, the, um, but the, the book does function, as I said, I, I've tried to think of the individual chapters as, as individual books. Um, and they do have sort of a thesis. Uh, they start out with a thesis and end with a thesis and you can trace the development of that specific machine and the history of that factory through those chapters. And that might be all you would want from that book at that time. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the book doesn't have anything to do with modeling. And in fact, I never mentioned modeling anywhere in the book, but it is designed specifically to be uh, the ultimate modeler's tool. Uh, if you're building a model and you want to build a model of that specific variant, um, I'm hoping you'll yeah. be able to see uh, all that you want to see. Um, and, and I have also a love of um, of old photography, uh, and I you know I've spent yeah. a lot of time at the archives. I spent a lot of time buying uh, antique photographs. Which is weird, by mm-hmm. the way, because there are guys that just buy the photographs. They don't ever want to put them in print. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, they keep them uh, themselves. Right. Yeah. Well, I sold. Gotcha. I, I sold. Uh, I, years ago, I sold all of my uh, German photographs to a collector in Japan for. I mean, this is a long time ago, but um, it, a ridiculous amount of money he paid me for photographs I'd already scanned and put in print. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't yeah. want these anymore. Would you want them? He's like, you know. So yeah. yeah, that's a whole that's a whole other genre. But um, so yeah, I uh, that's another thing that I did with this book is tried to um, I tried to uh, you know really communicate something visually with the photographs. Uh, and as I said, there's over a thousand images, um, and it represents gosh just years and years of traveling to the archives and uh, also building relationships. Uh, you know, of course, through the pandemic, I had to get a lot of stuff remotely, which is is. Yeah. I didn't think I could, but uh, I did. You know, I got I got some yeah. amazing stuff from archives. You know, really weird archives no one's ever heard of, um, and I hope that's going to make people excited about seeing the work. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know, the amazing thing about a book like that, Pat, is when you go back to some of the innovators that you were mentioning before, uh, Francois uh, Verlinden or Shep, 
uh, or uh, Letterman or Pruneau, you know, some of the stuff they were doing, often scratch building or super detailing, you know, there was one crummy Ballantine World War II book that had, you know, six pictures of a tiger mm -hmm. or a Sherman. <laughs> you know, imagine what they could have done yep. with a double box set of 1,000 or 1,200 right? pages of, ty of yeah. uh, Sherman detail. Oh, yeah. Well, sure. Lewis did... Um yeah, Lewis, it, Lewis was the master at that, really, was building something out of almost nothing. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I, had, I had a photograph that I found on the bottom of my shoe. Uh, and yeah. I, <laughs> and, I, and I built it into an entire diorama of the Pennsylvania sinking at Pearl Harbor. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, and um, which, which is, is, is hyperbole, but it's not too far from the truth. <laughs> I mean, no, he really, no, he really did do some pretty incredible stuff. No, I know. Well, I saw that Pearl Harbor diorama out at Ralph Kebbeman's, the collectors. And I mean, it's like eight or 10 feet long yeah. and three feet wide. I mean, you got to walk around it. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's I, humongous. I had a chance to reconnect with Bob uh, Letterman uh, not long before he passed away based on the fact that I saw a PBS special about Lewis's kind of masterpiece, uh, which was mm. his, I think it's HO scale of uh, St. Genevieve, Missouri in the 1800s. He was commissioned mm -hmm. to do it by the city or the county. And, um, I mean, really was everything that he had kind of brought to the hobby all in one. And it was mm -hmm. a phenomenal piece. And it, it doesn't get, I mean, we wouldn't, as modelers, be able to see it. Um, it, it, it didn't get exposed really very much. Uh, I think it's still there. You can go see it. But it really is something. Uh and I, I watched this PBS piece on it, and um, I got you know I got real melancholy because it had been too long since Lewis passed away. And mm -hmm. I, I called Bob and I said, "Boy, I'll tell you this. Um, this made me really happy, but also really sad. So I wanted to I want to call and share that with you. They were they were great friends for for many yeah, many yeah. years. Yeah. And uh, boy, it's 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 tough to think that both of them are gone. But uh, yeah. their work, you know, it sounds trite, but their work their work really lives on. So yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we, we started at the end, uh, unusually for us. Why don't we end at the beginning, Pat? How did you get hooked on this odd pursuit as publisher, as modeler, as enthusiast, uh, you know, in the first place? What, what, what well, made you crazy about I was hoping you'd ask that because I've been thinking yeah. about this. Um, but I grew up in a little town called Allen Park, Michigan, which is uh, southeast of Detroit. <clears throat> and um, nothing ever happens there. I mean, other people from Michigan make used to make fun of me for being from there. I mean, it's it's, it's just nothing goes on. Uh, it was Which a, means there was no car plant there. Well, no, uh, but what it was a bedroom community. So basically what okay. happened, it's where everyone went home to after right, they worked right, at the car right. plant. Um, but, you know, I, I hated it, and I couldn't wait to leave. But, uh, you know, as I became an adult, I realized what a great place it was to grow up, you know. And right. I used to walk around by myself. Uh, I mean, how often can you tell, you know, you tell your, go out and walk around when you're 10, you know? Yeah, so I yeah, was, I was, wa I don't was playing in the street, right? I was, I was bored. I was bored one day I was walking and I came down to this, uh, street called Garfield street and on Garfield, Garfield came into a main street in, in downtown Allen park at an angle. And uh, there was a weird little row of shops there. And there was this very peculiar shop that was made to look like an old building from, uh, like say Victorian England, you know, mm. kind of like 
wrought, wrought iron trim around the doors and heavy wood and stuff. And there was nothing ever there. I think it had been like a campaign. I think uh, uh, Romney, George Romney had his campaign mm. office there. Mm. <laughs> Seriously. So I was walking yeah, by yeah. it one day and I was 11. So this would have been 19. And um, uh, 1972. And there were uh, the window, which was kind of a bay window poked out type thing. It was a display type window, you know. It was full of miniatures. Hmm. Napoleonic hmm. miniatures. And I stopped and uh, to gawk. Uh, because, you know, up to that point, like most 11-year-olds growing up in the 60s, I was fascinated by miniatures. I built monogram model uh, cars. Uh, you know, uh, I bought and I purchased, bought and I bought. I purchased airplane models from the dime store and stuff like that. You know, I had, mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. Uh, I had a, a relationship with miniatures. So when I saw that stuff, I kind of freaked out. And I went in, and um, this was my introduction to the figure world. And in, inside was a guy in a tweed jacket whose name was Patrick Wayne. If you're still mm. out there, Patrick. Uh, he was a professor, and he was into wargaming. And he decided mm-hmm. to open up a shop. And this place was all of 200 square feet if it was, you know, a centimeter. <laughs> and sure. I'm probably being generous. Um, and, but in there, he had uh, a lot of Wargaming miniatures. He had, do you remember, uh, I think, what is it, 35 millimeter? Was that a scale for a while? Yeah. A little bit bigger. 30, 30 that, millimeter, yeah. Right, that were not necessarily gaming miniatures. They were meant to be uh, paintable collector's miniatures. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he had a ton of Imeresli stuff. You know, yeah. which looking back was freaking awful. But, yeah. you know, yeah. in those days, it was the wide, wide world. And that was really uh, it for me. And I remember going back, you know, I'm like, well, what do you do with these? And he's like, well, you paint them. And I'm like, okay, I want to paint one. Uh, and of course, I don't know. It took me probably weeks to get the money to buy one. And uh, first it was a 30 millimeter. And uh, I brought it back to him and he's like, this is awful. Uh, you know, you have to, <laughs> you have to redo it. And, um, and finally, uh, within a few years, I, I think I'd gotten okay at it. And, um, mm. I started going to shows. Um, and, uh, oddly enough, well, what a weird kid I was. I scratch built a figure, uh, using, uh, one of the monogram one thirty second scale raceway spectators as a basis. It mm. was a world war one doughboy holding, a a, a, a pickle halba. A helmet in mm. front of him and staring at it, uh, and I had I based that on an article that had uh, I think it was a series of articles that had run in Military Modeler, out of California, yeah. about uh, you know with illustrations and photographs of the World One Doughboy, and I took that to an IPMS Nationals in Toledo, and I won mm-hmm. first place in the adult category, mm. uh, and that was kind of it. Um, that just the bug bit me, and um, um. And then, of course, I, that's when I first met uh, Walt. And Walt was so impressed with the figure, he said, well, I want to display it in my shop. And I felt like, you know, I had died and gone to heaven. And I thought, like, I just won an Academy <laughs> Award. Um, and uh, that was it. I, I took a break so that I could... Um, uh, there were these these creatures called women. Not things. Yeah, yeah. Are we recording? Downfall of many a fine modeler. Right. Uh, I took a break there, and then... Um, uh, that was probably for a few years in the early 80s. Uh, and then um, I got back into it in 85 uh, when I had a thing called money. And I realized mm. that, oh, all that stuff I couldn't afford to buy when I was a kid is now like 
really cheap, you know, like, yeah, you know, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I had a graphic design. That, that first trip to right. the modeling store where you don't have to carefully add up every single thing that you put in your in your bag, uh, <laughs> which I can, I can buy whatever I need. Boy, that's that's becoming an adult. Yeah. And um, I had a design business at that point, too. And I had uh, back in those days, this is mid 80s, you had uh, accounts, you know, you, the, mm-hmm. the, the different art supply companies gave you an account. And I'm like, well, I'll just put an airbrush on my account. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. and, and I'll just put some paintbrushes on account. And, um, and I started, and I, I might started, as well buy a few extra needles. And a compressor. Um, yeah. Because believe it or not, people were still using airbrushes uh, back then for uh, illustration. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and that's how I got back into it. And I bought someone's collection of uh, Tamiya kits. Someone had sold their collection to a local hobby shop on consignment. And I'm like, well, I'll take all that. And, um, and it got back into it that way. Um, but, the, you know, the, <laughs> the big thing for me getting into the hobby business was, um, is I, I don't know if you guys remember, MB Models. Yeah. He is a little mm-hmm. resin company out of South Carolina. And, um, Mike Bishop. Yep, yeah. Mike Bishop. And I, I was reading Fine Scale Modeler, and he had an ad in it. And I'm, I was thinking, gosh, it must have really cost this guy a lot of money to put this ad in Fine Scale Modeler. And it was awful. You know, it was terrible. So, yeah, I was a designer, so I redid the ad, and I sent mm-hmm. it to him. I said, you know, this is what it could look like, and you could, you know, you could get a lot more customers if you had an ad that looked like this. And I thought I'd never hear from him again, and um, uh, he called me on the phone. He said, this is amazing. What, you know, like, what, 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 what's going to happen as a result of this? I said, well, whatever you want. He goes, well, can we pay you to do this? I said, no, what I really want is kits. Um, mm. I want your, your kits. And um, pretty quickly, uh, he needed packaging and catalogs and advertising for other things. And uh, pretty quickly, I worked right through um, all of his products. <laughs> and and he, had, he had wholesale accounts with uh, several different distributors because he sold to them. So I said, well, how about, um, you know, all the Osprey books I can eat? Okay. Okay. So we worked, yeah, yeah, we worked on the basis of uh, trade for, for many years uh, and then eventually worked through that. And, you know, he became a paying customer, but that's how I got all the contacts uh, for the magazine. That's how I got into the hobby business. And, you know, when you start a magazine, most people sell in newsstand, but um, I actually sold the magazine right alongside the products that it promoted. So that was how I was able to start the business with, uh, without that inroad. And um, so it was never really a magazine. It was always kind of like a book or an accessory or like anything else you yeah. buy from a hobby shop. And, which, uh, which probably saved you at least one headache because the only thing more mobbed up in the universe than uh, like the garbage industry is magazine distribution. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and you know, I, you know the, the the story of Cream Magazine, which was based in Detroit, Walled Lake, and Birmingham. Yep. Uh, you know, I told that story in the Lester Bangs book, and I mean, you know, distribution of magazines, man. You woof. know, a, a, a fairly controversial thing is uh, also hobby distribution. Um, I got mm. towards the end there. I was in a very bad place. I'm not going to name names, but. Um, you know, I got I got into some trouble because of my associations with certain people in the hobby industry in terms of not getting paid. And mm-hmm. uh, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, again, I, as I said at the top of our discussion, I, I take credit for the, the demise of the business. But boy, uh, at least one of those guys really helped. 
<laughs> yeah. really helped get me on my way. Um, but yeah, that's uh, talk about controversial though. I don't think uh, most people realize. I don't. I, I'm, I'm sure we don't necessarily have time to talk about this here. But the um, and, and, and to a large extent, this no longer exists. But the two-tiered system for hobby distribution in this country really um, uh, has caused a, a lot of uh, heartache for people mm-hmm. who are trying to get products into the hands of modelers. And uh, it's largely responsible for the death of the hobby shop. I don't know if people yeah. realize that either. But um, Well, the, the good thing about disruption, uh, the sad thing, is that we lose things like MMIR. Uh, but the good thing is that somebody who is now doing quality casting at home, uh, you know, or as, as a small, you know, Taesung Harms, yeah. you know, personally cleaning up every single piece that he casts himself after sculpting himself, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, it is also possible to start on a level playing field and, and reach a worldwide audience. Although yeah. none of us are ever going to get rich in this hobby. <laughs> yeah. I, well, you know, it's funny. There is money in it, but mm-hmm. you got to be careful, man. You really got to be careful. Um, uh, that's a lesson I learned from Walt, Walt and Al was, uh, you know, you got to run your hobby business like a business and not a hobby or you Mm. won't be in business for very long. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, well, thank you, Pat. It's been an absolute treat. Thanks a lot, Pat. I appreciate it. Thank you guys. Oh, Pat Stansel, uh, founder of the ampersand group. He's got a new, um, uh, publishing house that he is starting up again as he returns to uh, publishing endeavors. We'll have the link to that page on our, our website. Did you? Is it just me, or did you get the impression that Pat was disappointed at a mere like ninety minutes of talking and and figured we'd be going like six hours more? I think he. I think we could have easily done a lot more, and I, I think he wanted to. Uh, yeah, we, we we could have done more. <laughs> your, your roofing guys showed up right at the my roofing guys showed up and uh, we do live in the real world and we have other obligations you know carmel carmel doesn't cook so i make dinner mm-hmm. you know carmel needs to be fed on occasion and uh when when her blood sugar dips it happens to you too yeah when it's when it's time for you to eat if you're not fed uh you get really surly uh, it's more when I've been walking around Paris for five hours without having anything to eat. <laughs> that's, I think that's Shep what you're talking swore, about. Shep Payne swore he knew where that restaurant was. It had just uh, closed a decade earlier. <laughs> we did get to see a lot of sites that tourists don't generally see, though. So Yeah, but we didn't need it after a 20-hour day where we were jet-lagged and had not eaten yeah, in yeah. Uh, 15 hours. Yeah. Very true. One, one thing uh, about the humor with MMIR that we didn't mention. Yes. Uh, did, did you ever look at the uh, the credits? Oh, yeah. I always <laughs> love that. It, one of my favorites was, uh, let's see, uh, uh, Director of Top Secret Strategy, Donatello Nobari. <laughs> yeah, see, I always thought of Pat as uh, having been on public radio for two decades myself, uh, and and we often said of sound opinions, it's like Siskel and Ebert talk about music, or it's like the car talk guys, mm-hmm. you know, uh, talk about music. 
And who were the car talk guys? You know, I mean, they they did that at the end of every episode. You know, legal representation, Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and the public radio response was always, you guys are not the car talk guys, you know. Uh, by implication, <laughs> you guys are not Siskel and Ebert. But now they're all gone, so I guess we are. Yeah, so you're going to start making more jokes like that? or? Um. No, but uh, public radio is rather humorless. But, uh, you know, we get away with more on the podcast. Yeah, good. Yeah. We did a live taping with Super Chunk uh, this week, mm, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, indie rock legends, mm-hmm. uh, three decades running. Their most famous <coughs> song is uh, Slack MFR. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. and I said, and they were semi acoustic stripped down. And I said, you know, give us one more song. Right. Uh, what do you want to hear, Jim? I said, slack MF. Mm-hmm. And they said, uh, I don't know if we can say that on public radio. I said, oh, no, this is going on the podcast. <laughs> we can do whatever we want on yep. the podcast. Now, which former boss are you thinking of, Jim? I said, oh, many of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Pat sent us uh, some pictures of his vehicles, and we're going to put them up on our blog. Uh, and a link, as we said, to his new uh, publishing endeavor. Uh, but I think we just want to uh, close this show. You uh, gently scolded me uh, the other day when we were talking and not taping mm-hmm. for um, uh, you thought I didn't really uh, understand the many ramifications of using the phrase rivet counter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think I casually dropped that uh, as someone who was just you know, obsessed with the super details of a model, mm-hmm. right? right? And it was it was almost as, a, you know, a, a, a deflection because, you know, there were problems with the uh, Lancaster nose art kit that I built from HKM that was part of a box diorama yeah. that I won gold at MFCA, right? But I said I, I was not getting, you know, crazy with the rivet counting, mm-hmm. Um you know, and, and so that that was just me. Yeah. I was going for creating a mood and a scene, uh, much less so than a perfect scale representation of a Lancaster. But what what why is that a fraught term? Uh, yeah, I was unaware of. This. Well, the uh, you also mentioned it in in Pat's interview uh, where he talked about people going crazy and super detailing things, and you said, "Oh yeah, the rivet counters." Um, yeah, yeah, but I didn't mean it as an insult. I meant some people enjoy uh, that level of research and that level of, of super detailing. Yeah. Well, the, re- the reason it's a, a fraught term is the first way it, it was used that I remember was you would get people every now and then who somebody would show a model and it was beautifully painted or uh, even beautifully detailed, but there'd be one thing that would be not perfectly historical or not exactly correct on it and there there's always a person out there floating around that would say well that's totally wrong and pointing at the one thing um not not right right let's say rather than using aftermarket or scratch built grab handles you use the plastic ones that came in the kit and this person with the uh you know uh focus eye visor on is saying, you know, that's three times thicker than it would be in scale. Well, there's that too, but there's also just, uh, there's all kinds of things like that. Like a couple I can think of is I, I know that 
Uh, I don't know if you know much about British tank markings, but uh, I've, I've actually heard people say, you have those in the wrong place. You know, they're switched, mm. the number, the code number and the insignia. And if you, yeah. but if you look at real pictures, they actually did them all kinds of random ways. But but right, the, right, but right. but there's just this idea that little tiny details being incorrect is all a certain person will will zoom in on and and they're it's not that they're trying to be helpful they're actually trying to make themselves look smart because they know oh this one thing is wrong it's it's not wow this is beautiful this is great this is nice hey just one suggestion this is not right that to me is fine right. Um, oh, that's fascinating. You know, I mean, if someone said of my Lancaster, I like what you did with the lighting in the cockpit, but in fact, it was whatever, hidden between the pilot's legs. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I had it coming on the side. Yeah. I would have said, oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah, good information. I, I wonder what, yeah, good information. What would that right. have looked like if I'd known that? Uh, you know, I did spend several hours yeah. researching yeah. lighting, you know, <laughs> didn't find that. Right. But, you you know, sometimes you just don't find Right, the resource you're yeah. looking but, for. But the original use of the term, at least in my experience, were, were these people using it in a malicious way, um, just trying to build themselves up. And over time, it it kind of morphed into um, this. Uh, if you look on Facebook forums, uh, somebody will post something, and uh, people give them feedback pretty much like I, what I was saying. Hey, that's really nice. I like the way you did this. I like the way you did that. Just by the way, this one thing, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, the, the code numbers probably wouldn't have been blue on that era of, you know, U.S. tank or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And people will jump all over them. Rivet counter, rivet counter. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what a rivet counter is. You know, that that's that's not fair. Um, and then there's, it's also morphed into almost a, you know, a badge of honor to people who super detail mm. things, right? And they call right, themselves right. a rivet counter. I consider myself a rivet counter. I, I love finding little details that I can add or change on a kit. Doesn't mean I'm going to do it always. No, sure, sure. Uh, uh, yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. And, uh, but it also, uh, I think, uh, in terms of, shows right whether we're talking the ipms first second third uh mentality or the uh bronze gold silver uh figure show open system um you know as a judge uh i follow uh shep Payne's bible of instruction to the judges yeah. <laughs> which is what world expo follows which is uh not everyone is an expert on all historical details of uniforms or ordnance. Uh, you know, when we are judging uh, ordnance painters, which is the finish of the vehicle, right? Mm -hmm. Or ordnance open, which is uh, can be as simple as I have set the vehicle in a in terrain, you know, in a groundwork, uh, or it can be diorama and complicated and background and uh, you know buildings and, and wreckage and figures. Um, you know, uh, we are going to give the modeler the benefit of the doubt sure. on historical details. That's that was Shep's attitude. Um, I mean, if I had a perfectly finished MMIR modeler level uh, piece of ordnance, mm -hmm. and 
uh, a judge was knocking me down because, uh, you know, my Zimmeret was not, uh, that I applied uh, painstakingly from scratch, mm-hmm. was not, you know, was spaced too far apart or something. I'd be... I'd be a little aggrieved at that. I mean, how do you know? Well, I mean, there's a, a lot of times we're talking about field modifications made, you know, on the fly. Sure, yeah. And, and it, there are a couple things I have to say about that. Uh, one, uh, I thought you were going to say, and this is how it's, this is what it's gotten to. There's so much information out there. And what I thought you were going to say is they would tell you maybe that it was that the, the factory that tank came from didn't have that pattern, which, which right, they right, know right, that. Right. Um, there's right. a lot of good information about that. Uh, I feel like there's two ways to do that, though, because if, again, all you do is you go up to this beautifully done model and it's like, that's the wrong Zimmeret. That's Mm -hmm. pretty, you know, that's just not good social skills, really. Right. Right. But would it be a would it bother you if they discuss the model with you and just said, just by the way, if you build this subject again, this is not a likely pattern for Zimmerit, in case you care, you know? No, no, that, no, I'd be fascinated. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's part of the history. It's part of the research. I, I find it fascinating. I find it helpful. It's just two totally different things. Well, yeah, but let me, let me put it in my music critic term, right? If somebody says to me, uh, Bob Dylan uh, is the most overrated uh, uh, artist in the history of popular music, or Lou Reed, yeah, right, or yeah. Patti Smith, right, because they can't sing; they're always flat. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, you know, actually, what that voice is doing is amazing. You know, can they sing like uh, the Beatles could and harmonize? No, uh, but have you listened to what they are doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Johnny Cash is another example, good example of that. Oh my God! Yeah, right. You know, don't don't tell me Johnny Cash couldn't sing. Right, right. Nobody else could sing like. Like Johnny Cash. Right. Yeah. And now I forgot what the second Man. part was that I because I had two points I was going to make and now I forgot the second point. Well, you have this this uh, maybe it'll come to you or maybe it is this. Um, you have made uh, comments to me and you put them really eloquently when we were talking about this the other day. You know, let us never forget uh, two things. Number one, this is a model. Mm-hmm. This is a representation of the real thing. Right. It is not the real thing shrunk down, right? Yeah. And so uh, what you're going for, um, you know, is is a, a model of reality. And it, it is not reality necessarily in miniature. Yeah. Now, if you do that and love doing that, good for you. If you don't and are going more for the impression that's fine too. <laughs> right. Right. So, so that, uh, that's an important point. And actually I, I don't see that. I, I wasn't meaning that you should never criticize something or uh, think something can't be improved just because it's always a simplification of reality. What I meant was the way you simplify reality is, can be, you can approach it in many different ways. It's all up to your viewpoint. What are you trying to achieve? What are you interested in achieving? Uh, I just remembered the second point I was going to make. Let me go back to that, if if that's okay. okay. Uh, Yes, please. You mentioned the the leaving out historical accuracy when you're judging. Um, There's an extremely practical reason for that. You, You touched on it. But the reason it's important to leave it out, the most important reason to leave it out is, like you said, you can't be an expert on everything. 
If, no. if I'm judging uh, three people's groups of figures and one of them has Napoleonic hussars and they have a hussar from the first regiment wearing a dark blue, mm-hmm. uh, that's not really right. But the other guy has a bunch of Romans that I don't really know much about. I can, how can I possibly ding one for historical accuracy when I don't know what the other whether the other one is historically accurate or not, right? No, nobody can be an expert yeah. uh, on everything. Yeah. Uh, but I would say it's hard, uh, especially with military subjects, to be uh, the ultimate expert on anything. Right. Well, now you you may have the field manual of German camouflage in the winter in nineteen forty. Exactly. Yeah. And you may have been to the Musée de l'Armée in Paris and seen the Hussars uniform, right, right? Right, But you and I have done so much reading on both of those eras and so many books and so many... We've seen so many representations, right? You know, often in the Napoleonic era, certainly in the Civil War era, uh, Lord knows, in the Roman era, right? We have very few relics left, yeah, yeah. right? I mean, we have some armor, but we don't have, like, what the tunics right, look right, like, yeah. right? You know, um, field modifications yeah. and foraging, and, uh, you know, there were there were dozens of tailors mm-hmm. uh, hired in Paris to make the uniforms of the Grand Army, and then they got shredded uh, when, when marching 30 kilometers a day, and who knows how they got repaired. Well, there were probably you know. seamstresses spread throughout the French countryside making uniforms, uh, right? I, I mean... Right, dif- different, yeah. you know, and not, not following a, a, a manual. And that's the other part of right? it. We have this feeling that we know everything about history because you might own every reference available right now, every last right. reference. You might have been to every last museum. There's still stuff that pops up that we had never seen before. And somebody might pop yeah. up with a Hazar's uniform from the first Hazar's that was a dark blue. Like, I had no idea and, this existed. And, uh, uh, there's also nature, right? right? What, what does the rigors of campaigning do to a particular color of fabric? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Right. right. And, and you, know, you just reminded me of a story, and I, uh, now it's going to be my turn to, to tell a Shep story. So, uh, oh, very one good. One of the funniest funniest things I ever heard about historical accuracy came from Shep. I don't think it was intentional though. Uh, I had the first time I went to his house on some, on some forums, uh, some miniature forums, there had been some discussions about the color Aurore from the French army, the Napoleonic mm-hmm. army, which is mm-hmm. a, basically an orange, right? Mm-hmm. And he had a Shaco or Shaco um, in his collection and it had aurora lace on it. Orange lace. Yeah, but it's but their name for it is aurora because they actually yeah, had yeah, a different yeah, yeah. different shades of orange, right? Sure. Um, but he, I said to him, it's so cool to actually see an example of the color aurora in person um, mm. because there's discussion about what is the right shade. And he said, well, if people are discussing what the exact correct shade of aurora is, they need to have a better hobby. They need to get a better hobby. <laughs> because all it is is just orange. Well, with a little mm. bit of white mixed in, maybe. And also kind of more on the pinkish side. I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so he just talked himself out of right. it. Right. 
I look. I remember being stuck between Shep and Mike uh, at breakfast any number of times, where the debate was over the exact shade of yellow of Skinner's horse uniforms. Right. Right. You know, and Shep had an original he did. uniform of Skinner's horse, he did. you know, and Mike would make the argument, you know, it's like, yeah, well, I don't know where you got that or how much action that soldier saw. So why are you, you know, critiquing my, uh, you know, painted stock figure of a, of a you know, um, Skinner's horse? But look, hey, even the masters, uh, of which you are now one, <laughs> uh, double back on themselves because I remember... Uh, one flea market at MMSI years ago uh, where, uh, you know, I picked up a, to me a Bren gun carrier, mm -hmm. right? Which was like one of the first kits I fell in love with as a teen, yeah. right? And Shep said, why are you buying that? And I said, oh, it was one of the first kits I fell in love with as a teen. I always thought it was a great kit, yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's so small. I mean, it's smaller than the palm of your hand, sure, yeah. you know? And Shep said, the first thing you'd have to do, rivet counter, yep, yep. is is get rid of all four walls because yep. in scale, the thickness is triple what it would be right. in the model. Yeah. And I tell you, I still got that newly acquired term from Barry Bediger as a shelf queen sitting there. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, by saying that, he took all joy out of me building it again. Yeah, and I, I understand that to a certain point, but why would... And I've had that happen to me, too. I, I've had friends locally that uh, this one friend of mine is obsessed with the undercarriage of vehicles. Well, you have right. to add brake lines. You have to, you have to do this. <laughs> well, no, I don't. No, I don't, because we're talking about modeling, right? But right. I, it shouldn't make you think that way. I mean, if, if it really brings up a point that it starts to bug you, wow, you're right, I've looked at pictures, and that, yeah, that is off. I understand that. But it should never be harmful to hear somebody give their opinion about how accurate something is. It should not change how you see things yourself unless you start seeing that uh, with your own eyes. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely true. Um, uh, it is like any advice, like any critique, which we've been talking about since we started this podcast. The advice, the critique is there for you to accept or leave. Right. 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 I mean, there are some things that are probably more important than others. Yeah. If you have built um, an aircraft and, you know, you've mounted it to the base and you didn't put brake lines in the uh, uh, landing gear, uh, nobody's going to turn it upside down and look, right? On the other hand, if you didn't sand the tires mm -hmm. to represent the enormous weight of that vehicle, at rest, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that might be a little weirder looking, you right. know, nothing looks weirder than a round tire, you know, yeah. where, where like, you know, one little tiny point connects with the earth. Right, right. No, that's, it's a good point. And that gets back to the idea of modeling and what modeling is. Modeling. And modeling. I, what I was trying to say before when I, when I discussed with, with this with you is not just you should let everything slip because it's only a model. That that's not at all what I what I meant to say. Oh no no no! I never took it that way. Okay okay good because what what I was thinking was if I can go way back in history uh, when I started learning to um, draw maps we we did I, I worked at a place that did uh, we were a contractor for the defense mapping agency they did military maps mm. okay 
Are you allowed to talk about this, or are you breaking classified? I'm not going to talk about anything that was classified. <laughs> so, uh, anything that was classified back in the early '90s, though, people would think, "Yeah, so what?" But I'm still not going to. Yeah. Um, anyway, when I was taught to make these maps, and and going through school, you know, we learned a lot of this too in cartography. Uh, it was an important point. To learn, and people, now with Google Maps coming out, this is especially bad again. When you look mm. at an aerial photo, that is not a map. That's a photo. Right. That's that's yeah. like looking at reality in a way. It's not the same as reality, but you're looking at the, the full reality of something. Mm-hmm. When you make a map, you are distilling it to the important information, what you want to know. What are you interested in? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there's not just one type of map to make. When you give me an aerial photo of the city of Salt Lake, you can't just make one kind of model or map of that. There's any number of different models you can make from that aerial photo, right? Sure. We, there's there's topography and elevation. There's, and There's cultural. There's, there's population. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. voting patterns. Yeah. There's roads. Let's see only the roads. What are we interested in? We, we want to see... Right. Where the roads are in relation to these things, whatever, right? Are we getting alleys besides streets? Right, yeah. right. Um, and, and actually, the person who taught me how to draw maps when I was working for this this defense contractor was my wife, Joan, <laughs> which... Brilliant woman. Yeah, Brilliant. and that's how we met. Uh, but the term that was used when you were looking at the imagery and deciding what to show for these military map purposes... The term was called pull up. We pulled up information. Pull up, okay. Right? So they wanted to see where buildings were. They wanted to see what kind of vegetation there was. They want for cover right. or right. or to see patterns. They wanted to see where roads were. Every last road so that you could see, right? They wanted to see where power lines were so that they could see, make a judgment about where they were based on these features, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Does that do, do you see what where I'm going with that with modeling? I mean, you yeah. If I want to make a box diorama where I'm trying to portray a certain mood, I don't really care that I have accurate colors on the clothing. The colors on the clothing just need to fit the scene. Right, and they're going to change under the light in your diorama anyway. Right, right. If I want to make an armor diorama of a knocked-out tank with some dead bodies around, and I want to, to give some feeling of something... Do I care that the fenders are not correct? Or too thick. Or too thick. Or the road wheels are not quite the right size. Right. Probably not that 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 big of a of a of a uh, a thing, right? I mean, it's it's as long as it looks like it was what it's supposed to look like. You want to give an overall impression. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Now, maybe your point is to actually replicate the details on some tank to every last thing you can you can pull up from right. the images you have well then you can do what uh tom morgan does with his french tanks and everything mm. you can possibly find any reference on you replicate with plastic mm. right but he's not creating the engine he's not making the engine run it's not right 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 right, right. <laughs> so he has decided what is important for him to pull up from from the information he has and represent in miniature 
Does, is that, well, does that, did I make that clear or is that? I, I think you made that clear. Uh, and it goes back to the way I put it, uh, which is uh, there's no one way to model. Yeah, right. If your joy is is uh, uh, super specific detailing, and that undercarriage is a hundred percent to the specs of the manuals and photographs and research you have, yeah. that's swell. Yeah. And if you say, "I'm putting the tank in the mud," nobody's going to see the undercarriage uh, because I'm really trying to tell a story in a diorama, or even just with the vehicle without any figures or anything. Right. That there, that's not wrong either. Right. There is no wrong or right in art, as I tell my students in reviewing the arts. Uh, you know, there is only your emotional reaction and your analysis. Right, right. That's very true. So, the other thing that right. the other thing that made me think of this with the modeling. Sorry, what brought it up recently is a recent. You're passionate about. I this. am very I like passionate that. about it because I I just I yeah. realized not long ago that what I've been doing for my career up until recently was modeling i was a model maker as as my yeah. career as a map maker but the thing that brought it up recently was paul budzik we just mentioned talking about fine scale modeler um mm -hmm. he mentioned on a recent episode of sprue cutters union uh, he he was talking about a certain plane the laird super solution and he was saying when you look at this what is the what is what is the most important part of this what 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 do you see as being important and what is maybe less important to portray what this machine is. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, okay, I feel kind of vindicated with babbling about this stuff for, for so long. But uh, I feel like he sees it the same way. Because he was basically yeah. saying the, the, getting the push rods or whatever exactly correct is not necessarily the most important thing to shoot for when I'm trying to replicate this object in a certain way. Exactly. Well, and the... You know, Tiger Tank, uh, Shep Tank Number One, in uh, uh, you know one twenty fourth, twenty fifth scale that uh, that you and I are going to divide between us when we live across the street from each other someday. <laughs> right. right. Um, you know, uh, you know, super detailed interior uh, of the turret at a time when there were no references on that and little model railroad parts and and you know what Barry it makes me feel the power of that tank yeah. and i don't care if uh, the rivets are wrong yeah, right they don't have to be and now correct. some if somebody does it today and has it 100% right i will applaud that as vibrantly as i applaud uh, Shep's tiger absolutely very good so we we sound almost almost Pollyannish. Go forth and model and do it your way. But remember, the other thing that we left out besides uh, no wrong approach, no right approach is uh, uh, have fun. God damn it. That's right. <laughs> this is supposed to be fun. Exactly. Yeah. And don't let other people's view of what is fun influence what you see as fun. I'm with you, brother. All right. Until next time, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks. We'll see you next time. We love hearing from you, our listeners. Here's some recent messages. Hi, Jim and Barry. It's Jack Lynch. Hey, from the model railroading world, um, Shelf Queen, I believe, originated with model railroading. Um, over the years, we always used to tell people that brought <clears throat> broken locomotives to shows and things like that. 
that if it didn't run, you should put it up on the shelf as a shelf queen if you couldn't get parts or anything for it. So I think that's where shelf queen comes from. I always heard Grey Army, you know, for figures that you have surrounding your bench, which I love. I love having figures all around me. So I think that's where shelf queen comes from. Bye. Hey guys, Robbie Knopfs here. I just wanted to say how awesome your podcast is and specifically how helpful it has been to me. I'm not someone who paints miniatures. In fact, I think I've done one set in 148 and did it horribly. But I wanted to say that your podcast has been great for those of us looking to learn because it's really opened our eyes and pointed out who some of the key people are we should be following in this hobby. Your interviews are great, even with the guffaws. I know I really appreciate them on my drives to work. And again, I just wanted to say thank you for your awesome work and to keep it up. And I'm looking forward to what you're bringing to us in the future. Thanks. Hello, Jim. Hello, Barry. Paul Budzik here. I just wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed the interview with Calvin Tan. He's such an eloquent gentleman, and he articulated so many great concepts. I listened to the interview twice, and I'll no doubt listen to it again with my notepad. I just wanted to tell you guys really hit it out of the park with this one. Thanks so much. To comment on anything we've said in this or any episode, or to pose a question for us to answer, click on the link at www.boxdioramas.com slash small subjects. We also have that in all of our social media posts. We'd love to include your voice in an upcoming episode. Just remember, you have to limit your message to 60 seconds. Thanks. Thanks.